Future us's are complete idiots. So, everybody comfortable with the topics? We've got like a whole goddamn list of things to talk about here. Yep. You know what we should do? What's that? We should do some meta thing for the intro. <laughs> Since we're going to be talking about meta, shouldn't we have a meta episode? Um, yeah, but I don't know how we have a meta episode without, unless we talk about having a meta episode before we have the episode. Let's have a bottle show. Every show is a bottle. Believe me, I have, a, I have, I have something from a bottle right here. Cheers. Cheers. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Media Loper Bebop Episode 4, Fight for Your Right to Rapture. This week, Beastie Boys Hot Sauce Committee Volume 2 and Fight for Your Right Revisited. Also, storing music in the cloud is getting easier and easier, which makes the major labels uneasy. Is community too smart for its own good? And finally, the end of the world is Saturday. Have you made your pre-rapture checklist? All this and Cocoa Crisp on an all-new Medialoper Bebop. I'm your host, Jim Connolly, and with me, as always, are Tim Gaskell. Present. And Kirk Biglioni. Here. Last week, during our REM discussion, Kirk mentioned that he couldn't imagine REM would still be around and making music in 2011. Well, I think that goes triple for the Beastie Boys. Around the time of License to Ill, they seemed like such a novelty act. White rappers? And acted like such utter dickwads that there was no way they weren't going to be one-hit wonders. Well, they proved everybody wrong. First, they reinvented themselves with 1989's Paul's Boutique, and in the 1990s, renounced their wayward youth and made three great records that somehow captured their newfound maturity, but kept their youthful energy. Since then, there was a misstep with To the Five Burrows, but now they're back with the pretty great Hot Sauce Committee Volume 2. Tim and Kirk, do you think it's possible for three guys on the wrong side of 40 to possibly recapture old glories? Yes. <clears throat> and listening to the new album, um, I think they've come pretty close. Was To the Five Burrows, was that considered a misstep then? Yeah, it really was. Okay. Well, also because of the DRM. Oh. Really, that was the Beastie Boys at the dawn of the digital era. And uh, not only was the album not that great, but they actually did some really stupid things with the technology. It's just one of those deals like the Foo Fighters where they put the, the file on your computer. Yeah, you couldn't, you couldn't even rip the CD. <clears throat> or you weren't supposed to be. Well, you couldn't, you couldn't on a PC. You could on a Mac. I know? ripped it on a PC. We shouldn't even be talking about this. It's the Beastie Boys. Does that make any sense at all? No. no. Jim, I was just going to say, go back to your, uh, going back to your original statement about them being dickwads. We have them in at the studio before, it was before License to Ill came out. They just had an EP. They only had an EP out. If, if She's memory. on it. Yep. That's it. Yes. That was an, an amazing song. I actually thought when never when License to Ill came out in that era, I thought that it that they were the U.S. version of the Sex Pistols, and License to Ill was the U.S. version of Nevermind the Bullocks. Yes, I, I think that's I think that's fair. And, and Tim, I I remember them having been in the studio because I was the, the poor fucker who had to do the interview with them. <clears throat> yeah, I was hanging in the back and thinking, boy, I'm sure sure glad Jim's doing this and not me. But you know, the thing is, is that. Uh, I knew, you know, like, like I knew they were going to be that way. So instead of fighting it and trying to corral them, I just figured the only thing to do is let them do whatever they wanted to do because 
Either way, they were going to. I think two things happened to them. Number one, didn't they become Hindus or so? I don't know. They became... Yeah, they became Hindus. They found out they went from being Jewish to being Hindus. <laughs> they, they got all spiritual. I don't know. They they did. They started meditating or something. Became they became Buddhists, or at least one of oh, them did. Buddhists. Okay, there you go. Then they also started... They played instruments. They learned to lay down the backing tracks, and they... You know, so they kind of developed and nurtured the grooves of their albums, and uh, they, I think that was part of the appeal, is that you know it had more of a kind of a more of a homespun kind of feel to it than the <clears throat> the totally oversampled. But then you had like Paul's Boutique, which is <laughs> mega samples. Yes. You know? But, but I mean, then on the other hand, they also did like the in sound from way out. <clears throat> You know, they're, they're kind of jazz funk album yes. where, where they played their own instruments and it was mostly. But after Paul's Boutique, what happened is the record companies cracked down on sampling. Exactly. You couldn't do it anymore. Plus, the fact you talk to any of those rappers, today, they'll tell you that those those were nightmare albums to make. Uh, cutting up all the um, all the tracks and everything and putting it together was kind of hard. So. You know, well, that kind of led to the whole industry of of licensing samples, where you actually go and if you're going to make a record like that, you have to have a budget, right? <laughs> and have someone like making all of the connections and signing all of the contracts to make it happen. Now, and sort of like free agency in baseball, right. um, Paul's Boutique was sort of like Catfish Hunter, <laughs> and, and it also and, and and it also you had to give songwriting credit to yeah. even yeah. if you sampled just a little tiny bit, you had to give. You know, complete credit to, so to whoever. These albums had little books with them that were all the credits for all the samples and everything. Now, what? But the but, but some of those samples became like key elements of the song. I mean, is, for some of those, yes, Curtis Mayfield should be listed as a songwriter because essentially, there it's more of a remix of his work than it is an augmentation of their work. Right, but <clears throat> so what it also led to was the what we have today, which is essentially producers going in, laying down, making tracks, getting rhythm tracks, and throwing them out to their to the rappers saying, Here, here's here's what we've got. We've got twenty songs, twenty samples or you know, tracks here. Pick what you want and then rap over it. So that's kind of how it's done today for a lot of them. Not all of them obviously, but that's kind of the, the the method today. Well, it also led to this weird thing where you the the artists became more creative because they had to make their own music, even backing tracks like the Beastie Boys, and then also less creative because you had people like Puff Daddy or or MC Hammer who basically, like Kirk was saying, basically just took a previously existing song, removed the vocals, or just did a loop of it, and then just wrote a rap over it. And basically, it wasn't their hook; it was somebody mm -hmm. else's completely. True. I'm Rick James, bitch. But where where would Falco be? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's dead. Oh, so is Rick James. So the other half of this is um, in the 90s when they when they started getting more mature and became Buddhists. They basically said, "Look, we really don't want to talk about who we were in our mid 20s," and they kind of just just pushed it away. But um, I don't know if you saw the video that they released in the last couple of weeks, the Fight for Your Right Revisited. Yes. But that, that video is specifically a confrontation of their past and kind of yeah. almost a celebration. Like they were like, well, we were in our 20s, so we were fuck-ups. 
Well, you, well, what it also does is it takes every cliche that may have been talked about or reported about them, whether true or not true. Probably true. And it takes it to the extreme, and that's what's kind of what makes it great. But I, I think the whole thing about, and spoiler alert, them having a literal pissing contest with their past. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is, and, and, and no clear winner, by the way. True. So, I mean, they're very cognizant of the fact of who they were back then. And I think as you do, as you get older, they kind of like, eh, we were kids, whatever. So just not to get meta about this. Not at all. How would we deal with ourselves 25 years in the past if we were meeting ourselves from the future? (laughs) I don't think it would end that way, but it might. What, pissing on each other? Probably not. (laughs) Well... I would be, I would be, I would, I would, I would think I was the biggest fucking sellout ever. Hmm. Well, yeah. Would you, if, if you, if future you was having trouble untying a knot, would past you loan future you a a, a knife? Uh, past me would never have a knife. <laughs> Kirk, you've always been the most responsible of all of us. So you think that that past you and future you? Is that's like- that's that's really not saying much. <laughs> well, uh, it's on. It's on. We're, we're we're grading on the curve here, not on okay. the, not on an exact. I mean, we're talking about a B. Speaking of which, Jim, if you didn't have a follow up to that question, I actually had a question for Tim on this topic. Yes. Which is also sort of meta. Okay. How does Harry feel about the Beastie Boys? Good question. He he likes them. Um, but how old is how old is Harry? Just for people who don't know, he, he will be turning fifteen in a couple okay. of weeks. So his his stuff, you know, his main stuff right now is um, uh, with Tyler the Creator and <laughs> of course and and stuff people like that and um, you know Kanye of course. Um, so kind of the more current things. So even. You know, he, he for him a, a historical rapper is like Biggie. That's kind of like really old for him. So he d- d- has no opinion at all of the Beastie Boys. He's never heard them. He doesn't oh, yeah, listen. He's, to them. he's heard them. No, he likes them, but he's not. But they're not. But they're kind of. He has respect for them, but it's not like they are his group. They're old okay. guys. Right. right. Okay. So now here's my meta question. <laughs> here's my meta meta question. How do you feel about how Harry feels about the Beastie Boys? That is a very good question <clears throat> because um, – and in kind of music in general because I want him obviously to like some of the stuff I do, which he does. But, you know, his priorities are, you know, kind of more up-to-date hip-hop and rap. As <clears throat> they should be. That's his thing. Um, but so – you know what? What we do every day in the car is, you know, to and from school is he plays me at least one song. He says, "Dad, I want to play you a song," and I kind of give it the thumbs up or the thumbs down. <laughs> do, you, do you keep a record of no, what you listen to and what you voted on? Because <laughs> Jim would keep a record. Yes, I would. I would totally. And you know what? If you don't, you could probably outsource this to Jim, and he would do it for you. Yes. <laughs> And he, yeah, and Jim could do a, a, either a graph or a spreadsheet. So <clears throat> we, uh, we, we should start keep, keeping track. The, you know, I'll play him stuff that I think he should hear, and he plays me stuff that I think. So we have a good kind of back and forth. Okay, and my final question. 
What about Johnny? Well, Johnny is um, Johnny's more into show tunes right now. Uh, <laughs> well, okay, that's okay, a whole. Wait a minute, I need to follow up. <laughs> how do you feel about how Johnny feels? Oh, that's that's fun. about show tunes. Because you know what? At this age, Harry was getting into when Harry was almost six, or when Harry turned six, he was really into punk rock. That was his thing. So uh, you, there, there's there's stages that we all go through. I'm not panicking yet. I think Johnny has a future in music. He will either be an opera singer or a heavy metal singer. I'm quite quite sure of that too. Well, I don't even know. I don't even know where to go with that. He's got the pipes. So, are we all giving the thumbs up to the new Beastie Boys album? Yeah, so far I I, I quite like it. I've only heard it th- through about two times, and I'm I'm enjoying it. I don't know if it's their best work, but it's it's very serviceable. It's unlike anything else I'm listening to these days. You know, you got to give it right. that when it when it comes on, it really stands out. Well, right. but th- th- they always were. Yeah, that's the thing. Is on one hand, I don't listen to this that kind of music normally. On the other hand, what is that kind of music? There really is no one like. They're sort of their own genre. A few weeks ago, Amazon introduced their cloud storage service, and recently, Google introduced their music beta storage service, and Apple, of course, is expected to follow suit. Kirk. Has the time finally come for easy on-demand access to your music from anywhere at any time? Well, you know, the future is the cloud. Um, this is like the classic example of all of these things we're supposed to believe. We're moving towards the future technology, the vision of not flying cars, because that will never happen. Jetpacks? Not, well, or jetpacks either. But all of the kind of like robotic stuff and, you know, instant access to anything you want to hear or see anywhere, anytime, really, we've got the technology to make that happen. And so now the businesses are actually moving into place to actually make that a reality at a cost that you and I could easily afford. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as with most things, the problem is not the technology. The problem is the uh, the gatekeepers of the so-called intellectual property. I'm not, it's, it's, I'm not saying anything about the quality of, of the, the content. I'm just saying that, you know, it's copyright holders trying to draw lines anywhere they can, even when it doesn't make sense. So these new services that are launching are up against having to negotiate with the record labels mm. over certain rights. And the thing with Amazon is they went first and said, you know what, we're going to launch with what we think is... Um, essentially fair use and and the right of first sale and you can do whatever you want with the media you've legally purchased. This is the same as copying it onto a CD of your own or putting it on a USB drive or a portable hard drive or whatever. Um, this, this is, you know, buy from us and we don't even charge you for the storage. We just move it over to your account and you have access then from anywhere. And of course, the music industry has 10 different ways they want to charge for that sort of service that are new business, new charges without actually creating a new business model. Meanwhile, um, you know, you've paid for the same content that you've always been paid for. Someone else has provided a new service that gives you access from anywhere. And uh, this is sort of like the ultimate thing that an entertainment company should see as like a way to actually sell product, more products, more people. More people will buy more stuff because they can get access to it from more places. That's sort of the network effect. I found myself, to tie this together to the first story, I found myself on 
the platform waiting for the Metrolink to go from Pasadena to Union Station, and I've got my goddamn Android phone, and even on my goddamn Android phone, <laughs> I can call up the Amazon app and just buy the new Beastie Boys album and have it in my locker so I can listen to it on my phone, but I don't have to worry that something might happen if I don't transfer it from my phone to my computer because it's in my you know, storage. I like that. Well, the, the the only music is the only form of media really today where they still expect you each time you if you lose access to the file they've sold you they want you to buy it again instead of being able to re-download it. That Seafair app uh, app Apple Store has allowed you to re-download. Do they? Yes. E-music does, or used to, anyway. E-music used to, and this was one of the things they changed when they brought in the last of the major labels. And now it's 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 changed from re-download to repurchase this album. See, this is always one of those things that's really kind of pissed me off, is that they expect you to, you know, if you lose a file, re-download it, or hell, if you if you buy the same exact music or their new reconfiguration of the exact music in a different medium, then you're expected to pay for it all over again. You know, regardless of, of whether or not it's made it life more convenient, we didn't say, hey, let's go to digital. Hey, let's go to CDs. Hey, let's go to vinyl. I mean, the technology happened, the music went on it, and the culture changed. The interesting thing, though, is in the, in the history, as you went from like 78 to 45 to 33 to, to you know, cassette. cassette well, there was there eight was track. four four track, eight track, reel cassette. to reel, There was reels in there. Each one of those stages, the industry was ahead of the curve, and was like trying to guide consumers to the new format. Mm -hmm. That was true with CDs. That was true with mini disc. That, yeah. didn't, that didn't work. Minidisc was the first failure, or probably mm. maybe the last failure, because after that, after Minidisc, the labels stopped dictating new formulas, because the next, or formats, because the next thing that came after Minidisc was MP3, and that was totally not something the labels wanted at all. Suddenly it was consumers saying, this is the format we want, this is the way we want it. Well, they knew it was Pandora's box. They knew once the MP3 got out there, it was over. I still feel like they could, if they had owned it from the start, they could have killed, they could have stopped a lot of this. Mm -hmm. Only with DRM, only with proprietary formats. Well, because what, if, it, if it's open, they can't control it, which it, is why they handed the ball to Apple, because Apple was ready to meet their arbitrary DRM demand and sell music. Yeah, and, for a few years. So, Kirk, so Kirk basically, there. The, the the record labels are still pretty much fighting the 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 use of the cloud for people to store and access their their own however you define that phrase their own music. Yeah, and so like one of the things they're envisioning is that this will become a new form of piracy. So one of the requirements that they have, and this is why they're so upset that Amazon didn't do a deal with them or didn't negotiate with them before launching the service, is one of the requirements that the labels have is that they don't want the storage service to accept a song that doesn't have a digital receipt embedded in the file. Hmm. Now the, 
So in other words, if you rip your own CDs, you can't move them to the cloud because you don't have a proof of purchase. But but so if I buy, say you you bought the Beastie Boys. Now if you give those to me, purely hypothetically, of course, can by the record labels, I can store it in the cloud because I have a digital receipt on those files. This I'm sure that that part of that requirement is that they match the receipt to the account holder but my if, if the the only way to the only unique property of an account holder of course is the email address and we change our email addresses when we access the, it, it all the time hmm. well this is part of the part of the problem is there's no standard for recording that sort of information and the only retailer that actually does that is apple and this is why the thing that's allegedly going to be announced with Apple doing cloud stuff is Apple's the only retailer that's in a position to meet that demand. Tim, um, is there a problem with the dog? We've lost him. We've lost him. Oh, I, you know, I didn't ask him how Gizmo feels about the Beastie Boys. I, sorry, I muted. And how, how does Gizmo feel about the Beastie Boys? You know, he's he's kind of on the fence. Sometimes he jumps over the fence. <laughs> Sometimes he jumps on the roof. Some yeah, he did that yesterday again. Yes, but um, <clears throat> he is a beast. Oh God, no, that's not making it. <laughs> so where were we? We were talking about the Apple's uh, cloud oh, storage. Yeah. So, so Apple is like they're they're one of the they're the only company that's in the in a position to meet that demand. But are they going to do that? Uh, who knows? Uh, we won't know until something is announced. This could be the thing they're announcing this weekend. There's some so, mysterious Apple announcement that's taking place on Saturday or Sunday. Something apparently is happening this weekend where they're announcing something and they're locking their staff. They're, they're looking for 10 to 15 people per retail outlet to work from Saturday night through Sunday afternoon. And once the store closes, they have to lock their phones in a vault. <laughs> And they're not allowed to use them, and they all have to sign NDAs. What the fuck? <laughs> it wow. sounds like they're good. It sounds, any other company, you would think this is some sort of cult. Yeah, well, well it is a cult. Don't get yourself. Hang on. Can I just call this for what it is? This is a pre-rapture kind of lockdown. Yes, this oh. is it. Steve Jobs knows, and Apple is preparing for the rapture. <clears throat> and he wants his top 15 employees from each store to not get raptured up right but i don't think well well wait a second no 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 okay steve jobs is a very powerful man but i believe that even if he locks his people in the store those who will be raptured will be raptured end of story wait are you saying you can be raptured like through a solid object yes oh, oh absolutely yeah i don't think there's Rapture a question does not care about your you know liberal laws of physics what do you think is on steve jobs Rapture preparation list. His rapture playlist? <laughs> no. What do you think Steve Jobs is doing to prepare for the rapture? Well, I think he's. that's why he got all this digital storage space. He wants to back stuff up. So when it does happen and then the, when the grid goes down, he'll have all his stuff under one roof and he'll probably have armed guards guarding it. And 
It'll all be safe for when when we get back online in like 20 years. Well, I would think that the one place you could hear the cloud is in heaven. That's true. Boy, okay, that's the thing. Now, is heaven going to be, when everything is stored in the cloud, is there going to be room for all the angels? <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Gizmo and say yes. I have a hypothetical for you guys. Okay. Say that you're one of those finger-pointing, heaven-loving, home-run-hitting baseball players? Yes. Oh, let's just call him Barry. And, <laughs> but he could be any one of those guys. You know the guys I'm talking about. Well, what, and you, let's and you, call him Albert Pujols. Okay. And you hit a home run, and the rapture happens yes. before you cross home plate. Does that count as no. a run? You have to touch home plate for it to be a home run. Yeah, I believe I, if you look, it's it's one of the one of the rules of baseball. I believe you do have to touch home plate. So that's usually the point where you point to heaven. So the fact that you've gone to heaven isn't an excuse. No, no, it doesn't quite work that way. I, you know, the only the, uh, maybe if you had like a permission slip from God, you might get away with it. But other than that, no, you're you're you. It's not gonna. You're not gonna score. You know why I don't want to go to heaven? Why? No. Property tax is too high. <laughs> uh -huh. Everyone has a mansion. The streets are paved with gold. It's like, think of the property tax. There's no Prop 13 in heaven? Well, <clears throat> I think the biggest problem with heaven is that the golf courses are kind of crowded, and you have to get an early tee time if you really want to get in there and have a good round. So... And you know what another problem is? Everyone has the same damn thing. Everyone has the same damn mansion. Everyone has the same damn Mercedes. Everyone belongs to the same damn golf club. And it's, it's like a socialist country. And everybody has that same damned annoying smile on their face. The other bit of advice I would give to, uh, especially Jim, if you're commuting, or well, it's a Saturday, you'll be at home. Um, don't be behind the wheel of a car, because if you are raptured up, you know, you could cause severe accidents for the people left behind, and that's not very considerate. So I think generally for everyone involved, whether you plan on being raptured or not, just plan not to drive on rapture day. However, after the rapture, I'm going to find out who's people have been raptured who had a better car than I do. And steal it. it well, I am not going to steal it. I'm going to repossess it for God. There will be a, there will be post there will be post rapture auctions where this will all be sorted out. There will actually be a new dot com. There's going to be a whole new industry of things that emerge after the rapture. It's going to be way cooler than it is before the rapture. We're going to look back at the rapture and say, can you believe how primitive things were before the rapture? I thought about this long and hard, and I thought, you know what, I'm okay with being raptured because you know what, the Giants have won the World Series, so mm -hmm. there's re there's really nothing else to live for. It's kind of a win-win, isn't it? Exactly. Nostradamus said that when the Giants win the World Series in the 21st century, that is a sign of the beginning of the end of times. Is that the first horseman? It is. Hold! Who goes there? It is I, Arthur, son of Uther Pendragon from the castle of Camelot, king of the Britons, defeater of the Saxons. So probably the first time I was exposed to the concept of a meta piece of art was Monty Python and the Holy Grail which is a film where characters pointed out that the sets were only models, reacted to the songs that were being sung about their actions, and was famously ended with a policeman putting his hand over the camera. Since then, I've always loved art that deconstructs itself, whether it be things like Moonlighting or Woody Allen's films, Annie Hall and Stardust Memories, 
Or even songs like the Catheads Anti-Song, which is insanely catchy and spends three minutes telling you what kind of song it isn't while being that exact kind of song. This brings us to Community, the brilliant NBC sitcom that just finished a second season that was quite literally all about its second season. Community, of course, has been accused, even by its fans, of being too meta, too much about itself. Sometimes, I'll admit, I still admire what they're doing on the technical meta level, but I miss the jokes. Tim, you're a big fan of Community. Do you love this ultra-meta direction that's gone in this season? Or do you wish they'd just go back to their earlier, funnier episodes? Um, I, here's the thing. I think the second season's amazing. I love it. Um, I, I do worry that they maybe it, whether they'll, they're, whether they will be able to keep it up for, you know, however many seasons, I hope it runs for five or six at least, uh, as long as, you know, a study group would normally stay together, um, <clears throat> at a junior college, which I'm sure is five, <laughs> six years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I love that basically what makes this show so unique is the fact that um, it is so heavily meta, but it is also every it's not a, it's not a standard three three camera comedy, which is all about setup, setup and joke, setup and joke. It's it's so much more layered and so much more, you know, the, you never know what's coming next. And that's the great thing about it. Damn it, Shirley! Forget your newborn child and think about the people that need you. I can't afford to lose a single soldier. What? Oh, now you're the leader? I don't see you stepping up. I don't step up to being leader, Troy. I reluctantly accept it when it's thrust upon me. Oh, damn. Oh, my God! What is that? Pop. Pop what? Pop what? What is he trying to say? Pop what, Magnitude? What about you, Kirk? I think community is great. Um, I, I tan- Did I lose you guys? Answer your original question. Hello? I don't think there is such a thing as too meta. <laughs> because there's always one more layer of meta. And that's not a bad thing if you're you know, a meta connoisseur. And one of the things community's done this year with the extra level of meta is they made the, se- the season villain Chevy Chase, who, of course, is a known pop culture villain and has been for 30 years so to make him a villain adds and, and you could tell he kind of didn't like being the villain and yet kind of relish it at the same time it just added mm. i think an extra layer to that joke and they'd made somebody else the season villain it wouldn't have been as much fun as chevy chase it, it's hitting spots that other shows simply don't hit and that's what makes it a brilliant show in my opinion and and i like sitcoms that create their own universe. I mean, news radio, I think, is a big precursor to community and that 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 radio station was really its own universe. They also did formal experiments, like they had a whole show that was set in outer space, which, by the way, they did that entire episode just so they could make the joke where someone said, well, do we need to get a space heater? <laughs> God. <laughs> I'm, I'm positive the entire episode was constructed around making that specific joke. Community did an episode that kind of reconstructed a season that never really happened or never happened quite the way it was represented as happening in the clip show that wasn't a clip show. 
And yet, but there were actually, I think there might have been a couple actual clips in the clip show. Yeah, there were, there were, I think. Which made it even more brilliant because then, 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 <laughs> then it becomes about the persistence of memory and what, what, what things you remember. I mean, we all have incidents from the last 30 years we remember completely differently. Well, and when you put two things together and they're both plausible and one of them definitely happened and one of them you don't know, you tend to think that they both definitely right. happened. You guys remember we had to fill in for Glee Club? not a fond memory. We won like 70 awards. Yeah, but the reason we had to fill in for Glee Club was because they died. And now it's time for the Coco Crisp Afro Watch. Kirk, I understand that we'll be doing this until the end of time. Well, it depends on when the end is. <laughs> if the end is this weekend, yes. We will be doing this till the end That's of what time. That's what I mean. Um, but... If the end isn't this weekend, we may be going on hiatus. The the Afro situation really has come down to apparently an internet vote. (laughs) (laughs) And the options are Afro, braids, or bald. And somehow bald is winning at the time of this recording. And um, hang on, let me check. Let me verify. We, we, We would like anybody who listens to this podcast to go and vote for Afro. Vote Afro. Uh, I don't believe he's necessarily going to go with the answer. I think this is just some internet poll. And he seems to have already adopted the brain. But you never know. It could come out the same way. This could be something he pulls like the rally Afro late in the season when they actually they're in the pennant race. I'm, I'm holding out. Internet hope polls that. are legally binding, first of all. Yes. Yeah, they're really. legally binding. And we're not worried about people stuffing the ballot box and then other people, innocent people, having to be bound. You know what? It's it's part of the internet. If you can't figure out how to outstuff somebody else in the ballot box, then you're just a loser who shouldn't who shouldn't win anyway. Yeah, you're the you're the Democrats of 2000. <laughs> Here's the other thing: is they don't say when the poll ends. So this could be something that runs all season. In the meantime, when Co- Coco did something really unlikely on Friday night, which he tried to flat out steal of home play. Wow. As a result of the attempted steal of home, we got a good look at Coco's hair and because, uh, you know, his hat was flying. And uh, I'm afraid that unless Commissioner Selig intervenes, we're probably not going to be seeing the Afro until at least August, maybe September. One more thing, Tim. My one more thing this week, there's a theme to it. There's two things that kind of interweave. Uh, go to Wolfgang's Vault, which is something we're all, we, we all have a great appreciation for and uh, dip into from time to time. They have a very good uh, iPhone app. They don't have an iPad app as yet. But um, today I got an email for their latest set of videos that they just uploaded. And one was The Who doing Young Man Blues, which is amazing. It's uh, from 1970. I suggest you go and you watch it and then go pick up at your local newsstand or Barnes & Noble or something uh, the Uncut Ultimate Music Guide, issue number five, The Who. It's 148 pages of uh, music guide all about The Who and uh, great early stuff as well. It's really well put together, and I'm working my way through it. It's awesome. And a young man 
Kirk, one more thing. You know that WFMU shirt I always yes. wear? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be wearing it anymore. Because I got the new WFMU t-shirt. Oh, I thought you were going to say they sold out. No, no, no. Well, they kind of did. They got I got the new WFMU, WFMU t-shirt designed by Tim Biscuit. Oh. It's really, really cool. And this is sort of a twofer because WFMU which everyone should be listening to at WFMU.org, had a, uh, another successful, they have the best fundraisers. They're fundraisers you actually want to listen to. They only do it once a year. They're unlike any other sort of publicly funded radio station. Nope. Um, listener-sponsored, actually, radio station. They, only, they don't do pledge drives multiple times throughout the year. But their pledge drives are great. And I got my cool Tim Biscuit Design WFMU t-shirt, which I'm wearing right now. So this is the new WFMU t-shirt I will always be wearing when you see me. Uh, and then the other thing about the pledge drive, now that I'm thinking about how great this you know, donation was, is in addition to the Tim Biscuit t-shirt, Yola Tango played my request. Oh, what song was it? Oh. Astral Plane. Uh, okay. Nice. <laughs> Some people try to play stump the band, but you know what? If I'm making a donation and they're going to play a song, why not go to know, their strengths? Throw them a nice fat one right over the plate, there you go. right in their wheelhouse, and you could tell they were. I have to check the archive to uh, to uh, download that version <clears throat> of the song, but it was pretty awesome. Awesome. So that's my one more thing. I just that's have like one... three things, but it's Side. one more thing. That's fine. I just have one question. Is, yeah. is a wheelhouse where they make wheels, or how does that work? It's sort of a robot. I've always imagined it as like a robotic thing, where the wheelhouse turns around and something comes in and immediately gets sent back out. Uh-huh. Okay. One more thing. Every few years, going back decades, Bob Dylan finds a new way to outrage people who take him too seriously as a symbol of something that barely even existed in the first place. The most recent is the flap over whether or not he had his playlist vetted by the Chinese government during his recent tour. Now, personally, I could give a fuck. Bob Dylan is the greatest artist in any medium in our lifetime, and the thought of anybody telling him what he can do is pretty hilarious. But for idiot baby boomers who probably couldn't name a single song he's written during his late career resurgence, which, by the way, has been on for 15 years now, even the hint of this was enough for them to write sputtering, frothing columns calling him a sellout. So it was extra great last week when Dylan posted a response to his website basically saying, fuck you, I'm Bob Dylan, I've been doing whatever the hell I want to for like a half century now, I will continue to do so until the day I die. And then he closed with this Dylan-esque paragraph, quote, everybody knows by now that there's a gazillion books on me either out or coming out in the near future. So I'm encouraging anybody who's ever met me, heard me, or even seen me to get in on the action and scribble their own book. You never know. Somebody might have a great book in them. End quote. Bob Dylan 1, rest of the world 0. And that's it for episode 4 of Media Loper Bebop. Fight for your right to rapture. I'd like to thank Tim Gaskell hey. and Kirk Biglione. Yes. And Media Loper Bebop, we know you have a choice of podcasts to listen to. So I'd like to thank you for wasting a half hour or so of your life with ours. 
a half hour you could have spent preparing for the rapture. And with that, we'll see you next week. If there is a next week. If. Big if. Oh, I'll be here. I may have two new co-hosts. <laughs> <laughs>